Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey friends, Graham Bolden here. Excited to have you with us for another episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. This week, I sat down with Dominique Lester, who is a uh, TSL alum, uh, fellow Southerner, uh, rooted in her love for the world, the spaces around her. And Dominique has built her career around exploring her passions. She's a speaker, a teacher, history lover, a consultant, lots more in between. And in fact, years ago, Dominique was approached to do a TEDx talk that enabled her to more publicly share the history that she was teaching in her day job at a museum. And so it was after that experience that she began speaking, sharing her knowledge of history, patterns regarding privilege and rights in everyday spaces. And so Dominique has really made a name for herself in the DEI, the diversity, equity, and inclusion industry. And so in this episode, we're going to dig into her experience in that industry, how there's a lot more space for others to break into these spaces, and also what she hopes that she can learn and share from the work that she does. We had a phenomenal conversation. I think uh, you're really going to dig this. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Dominique Lester. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speak Love Podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we are chatting with one of our students here inside of the Speak Lab, talking with Dominique Luster. Dominique, welcome. Excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much. This is fun. I'm excited. I am so yeah. excited. Good, good, good. Now, you've listened to the podcast a few times, right? A few times. I was actually one of those people that started at the beginning and worked our way through. Did you get through all of them? I did not. I will admit, I did not make it through all of it because there's probably, there's, you know, hundreds, right? It's but, hundreds of episodes. Yeah, yeah I think we're at like 400 something episodes. So that's that's no joke. That's a commitment. Yeah, but I've taken a big chunk out of it. Good. Out of girl. All right. Way to go. Well, not only that, but like you uh, not only just listen to the podcast, but like you, I know you, you joined one of our programs about a year ago or so. You've really done the work. So first of all, why don't you kind of like paint the picture for us, like uh, explain uh, who you are and then also how does speaking fit into your business? Absolutely. Uh, so. I am kind of like this Kentucky gala who loves bourbon and horses and all these kinds of things, uh, who's turned into an archivist and an adventurer and all all these pieces. I kind of describe it as kind of like if Indiana Jones kind of met the African-American history and kind of uncovered all the treasures that lie within beautiful stories. That's kind of what I do. It's my jam. I love it deeply. Um, and with that, I kind of touch on lots of things. Like I said, I'm an archivist by trade and training, but I also do curatorial work and speaking and consulting and reading and writing and thinking. And it's, it's kind of this all-encompassing universe, I think, of all of my favorite stuff, which is yeah. African American history, culture, teaching about it, talking about it, sharing it, facilitating anything in those realms. That's kind of what I do now. And uh, I will admit it's kind of like the best things in sliced bread. 
That's amazing. All right. Now, how did you get, like, where did all this passion for these things come from? Because as you mentioned there, like, you've got a variety of different things there in terms of just your, your background, your skill set, your passion. Um, like, walk us through not only like where those passions came from, but also like, how do you feel like those started to come together to form some type of career opportunity with speaking? You know, what's funny about all of that is that if someone actually looked into my background, they'd be like, who is she and why is she here? Uh, my background is in theater. Uh, huh. I, yeah, I, I know. My background is in theater. Actually, it's in lighting design. Uh, okay. I went to uh, theater school. At, at, I mean, the whole thing, whole thing. On and off, broad, I mean, the whole thing. Uh, and then I hardcore pivoted uh, through a mentor. Uh, when I was uh, coming back from doing a Fulbright in Germany, I had this mentor uh, who helped me discover archival work. Uh, honestly, let's be for real, I, I needed an on-campus job and there was one in the library. Uh, and that kind of led to this exposure to historic records and events and documents. And it was uh, um, just this really eye-opening experience where I got to explore stuff, like the thingliness of history. History isn't necessarily just all the things that happened in the correct order, which isn't necessarily history either, but it was all this stuff, the records, the letters, the diaries, the posters, all the stuff that we use to shape history was my exposure to it. Um, and I remember she dragged me in her office one day and she was like, you know, this is a career, right? Hmm. <laughs> like, you know, we have degrees in this and we make whole careers out of this. And I was like, really? Tell me more. Um, it's kind of been off to the races since then. It was really a, a mentor who took a vested interest in me, who actually quite literally sat me down and was saying, hey, did you know this was a thing? Because you might not. Yeah. And then how does speaking come into the picture? So what's funny about the speaking part is that I'd always been speaking, but didn't realize it. So what I mean by that is in, in my work as an archivist, um, I had been teaching and giving tours. I uh, worked in the museum space and in museums, even as an archivist, you're doing kids tours, high school tours, university tours, working with classrooms, you're teaching the material all the time. And when you are doing these curated experiences for people, you are quite literally taking them around the gallery and telling them stories about the the history that's on those walls and mm -hmm. kind of in helping them see themselves in it, immerse themselves in it, understand it, unlock it, find lessons within it. That is what we did as, in that curatorial space. It wasn't until I did a TED Talk uh, that I realized that I was speaking. Mm. I, I just do tours uh, or I was doing tours and classroom work. Uh, and then I got tapped to do a TED talk. And I was like, oh, great. Cool. Not realizing that I was about to do a TED talk. Scariest thing I've ever done in my life. But <laughs> it kind of unlocked this part of my brain that was saying, hey, this is a part of this. Mm -hmm. Did you know? And it was another opportunity to say, did you know that this was a part of what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's one thing to go from, and I think uh, we hear this a lot with people who have done a TEDx talk and, you know, like you said, it, it is a enormous amount of work that goes into crafting a, you know, 10, 12 minute talk or whatever it may be. And you present the talk and it's like, Hey, I, I really enjoy that. I would love to do more of that. Now what? Uh, so where do you go from there? And how do you determine, like, it's one thing for a talk like that to be in a TEDx type environment, something different for companies or organizations or groups to hire a speaker to come in and talk about something similar. So how did you kind of navigate that? By accident, honestly. So uh, the TEDx talk happened and I considered it a great honor and privilege to just expose the world to this work 
in in history, this archival experience. Hardest thing I've ever done, right? But then I kind of, to be honest with you, that was in 2018, 2019, but then I kind of moved on. I was doing more research, re- uh, conference presentations. I was doing, oh, I wrote a book chapter. I was doing a lot of work in the profession. And then I found out subsequently that people were using that talk in their classroom work. And then people asked me to come in and talk to their classes, come in to talk to their organizations or their nonprofits. People would, you'd get emails that says, hey, I saw your TEDx talk. Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea. Could you come talk more to our organization or can you come talk more to our class? And so it kind of started in this very organic space where I was just trying to, honestly, you're just trying to serve your community. You're just trying to get this message out there. You're just trying to um, solve for this thing that's burning within you. You're trying to do the work. You're trying to write the papers, write the books, do the conference presentations. You're just trying to do the work. Mm-hmm. But the more that you do the work, the more that the work impacts you, the more that the work kind of flips and turns and kind of internalizes you as you are trying to meditate and internalize the work. Um, And it happened very organically. Now it's very strategic and very um, progressive, I guess, in the way that we're structuring the business model around it. But the start of it was very just doing the work, trying to serve, trying to put this information out into the world and people asking me to come speak to their organizations. Right. Uh, and so today you, you do a lot. And the, one of the core things we're going to be talking about today in this conversation is about the work that you do in the DEI space, so the diversity, equity and inclusion space. And so uh, for speakers who may be interested in that, we're going to be, again, spending some time going down that rabbit hole. But for uh, you're again doing that, that um, uh, the TED talk and then transitioning into, hey, I, I think serving in the uh, the the DEI space mm-hmm. may be a great opportunity for me to kind of connect some of the dots here of what I'm passionate about, what opportunities may exist. Like, how did that kind of come to be? And like, what was that journey to get to the DEI space? And actually, that journey was really through Speaker Lab. It was really through the coursework uh, where I was trying to focus on, well, who was the audience? And I realized you get real specific. You know, especially in the elite class, you're getting real niche. And then you get your instructor that's like, yeah, I hear you. Try again. I hear you. Try again. I hear you. Mm -hmm. Can you get more and more and more? And at first, you're low-key. It's a little, you're annoyed. But (laughs) (laughs) I get that. I get that. (laughs) But it works. And I remember going through round after round of trying to narrow down my abstracts, trying to narrow down what it is that I speak about, trying to narrow it down and realizing that. My industry niche, my um, training and education and the industry in which I work in kind of as an archivist is actually different from where this message could reach a larger platform. That is when I was, you know, more open to the idea that this is actually a diversity, equity and inclusion topic. I had been talking about diverse history for years, probably about 10 years before the idea of pivoting slightly into the diversity, equity, inclusion space occurred. I'd just been doing African-American history, marginalized history um, for years. Yeah. Uh, And what are the different types of DEI type presentations, organizations and groups that hire speakers to talk on this? Because I know one of the things that you have uh, touched on is that they're, they're, um, it's so much more than uh, our race or our skin color, but there's a lot of different (laughs) versions of the DEI world that exists that organizations and groups may, may hire speakers to talk about. So kind of paint the picture for us, like what opportunities exist in this space? 
uh, so here's the thing is that if there are, I don't know, 7 billion people, there are 7 billion entryways into this space, to be honest. Hmm. Um, there are people who can approach the space from an HR perspective. There are people who approach the field from more like a training workforce perspective, which is still even then different from HR. Um, there are individuals who approach the work from more of an inclusion and belonging space. There are individuals who approach it from a government policy space. There's individuals like myself who approach it more from how history writes our futures and how we can take a more um, agent approach to all of that. Uh, there, I mean, the, 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 the opportunities in the space are as varied as your imagination. If you can think about if you can think it, then there's most likely a space for you. And there's always a niche. There's always an organization, an opportunity who is looking for what you have to, to share, what you have to offer to the world. Um, I think it can sometimes feel as if it's narrowed to either corporate organizations who are looking to bring in speakers as a part of maybe some internal once a year large event for their teams. Yeah. And that is true. But there's also um, smaller community programs, nonprofit organizations that are always looking for speakers, anything from YMCAs to boys and girls clubs to universities, both at the kind of research one level all the way into um international universities to um, community colleges, there is an entry point based on your niche and what you're trying to serve. The problem that you're trying to solve has a group or individual who is looking for that solution. Now, one of the things that we talk a lot about internally um, with with students like yourself is that just because you're passionate about something, knowledgeable about something, doesn't necessarily mean that organizations and groups actually care about it or that they hire speakers to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So how how have you kind of navigated that? And also, how would you advise other speakers who are saying, hey, I'm, I'm passionate about maybe this certain angle of the mm-hmm. DEI space. But again, it doesn't necessarily translate to organizations and groups say, yes, absolutely. We hire speakers to talk about that. So what advice would you give there? I would say be very honest with yourself about what problem you're solving and who you're solving it for. So if I, I'll use myself an ex, as an example, I'm an archivist. I work in the history and history making of the world and of African-American history. <laughs> There's a lot of for-profit companies that just are like, oh, that's wonderful. All right. <laughs> but they don't know what to do with it. They have no idea what to do with that. So you yeah. have to very honest with yourself. You can't just say, you know, ideally, I'd love to speak at the major multi-billionaire Fortune 500 companies. You have to be honest. So for so using myself as an example, uh, history, I can speak. I A lot of the organizations that will hire me are universities, mostly because they most likely have a history department on their campus. And so what I do in the field in which I speak is not foreign to them. It can mm. often be maybe the women's leadership conference on that campus. It can mm-hmm. be the diversity, equity, and inclusion office of maybe the president or provost office on that campus. But I'm very much in tune that my background is as an academic. The the books and the articles and the way that people find material to validate what I'm talking about is in the academic space. And so my niche is in universities that understand or at least have a campus office that they can go to and say, hey, what is she talking about? Is this legit? You'll have the history department be like, oh, absolutely. That's great. 
And so even though uh, today, you know, like, okay, I know that my, I am at my best whenever I'm talking in a university college type of setting and academics who understand history, understand the relevance of what I'm talking about and connecting it to, you know, the past, to the te- to today and to beyond and to the future. Um, but you know that today, but even at the beginning of going like, yeah, here's what I speak or here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'm passionate about. Uh, how did you kind of navigate to figure out like, Bam, like colleges, universities, that's where I need to be. So it was kind of a, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but it's a lot of um, try and fail, to be honest. I wish there Mm -hmm. was a magic formula. And and maybe there is. Maybe for somebody else, there's a book out here that can help you get really clear. Um, But actually, one of the episodes, and forgive me, I'm going to miss what number it was, but I listened to one of the podcast episodes that had Michael Port. Okay. And so after listening to the episode and doing what it said, I also bought the book, How to Book Yourself Solid. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not a plug or an ad here in any way. Michael's great. I've had him on the show numerous times. (laughs) Shadow with him a week or two, just catching up. Yeah, he's a great guy. Small world, great guy, great content. So in listening to the podcast, I went and then bought the book. Newsflash talks about what's in the book on the podcast so you could pick your pick your choice. It's not a secret, but I did go and buy the book. And in following it through, you kind of identify what you're passionate about. It was like a Venn diagram, like what you're passionate about, uh, what the war, what you're talented at and what the world will pay you for. And there's a lot of written exercises in that book to kind of help you distill down and get crystal clear to book yourself solid, to be honest. But it's it was such an important exercise that that would kind of be my advice to anyone else who's trying to figure this out is someone else already has or someone else has figured out a way to help you figure it out. Um, We don't always have to reinvent the wheel, though. Sometimes I feel like we do. But you don't. You can. There's enough literature out there that you can expand your mind into different ideas and arenas and and modalities and formats to help shape your narrative, to help shape your um, focus as you're going into the field to be as prepared as possible. And at the end, if you still don't know, you ask for help. Gotcha. That would be my advice. Now, you touched on uh, like within the college university setting that there may be like a women's leadership conference that may hire you. What are other groups in a college setting that might hire you? In the diversity, equity, inclusion space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A lot of campuses now uh, have diversity, equity, inclusion officers or something along that title. Um, LinkedIn is always a really great resource to kind of identify an org chart of who what offices exist um, or even starting with your, I don't know, starting with your state or your city or town and the local universities, state universities where you are just to get an idea of what titles, job titles you should be looking for. Um, So that would be kind of the first way. The other outside of diversity, equity, inclusion is usually like a provost or uh, a provost office, which is kind of usually underneath a university president, if you're not as familiar with the academic space, there's usually a provost office or a chancellor's office or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. They will have cross-campus programming. Uh, you'll often have maybe an entrepreneurial center. It depends if it's a large university or maybe a small college, but uh, your entrepreneurial centers, um, they can often hire and will have budgets for speakers Um Sometimes your administrative offices, they can go by different words. Sometimes they might be like a facilities or an adjunct or something like that. Um, 
unions on a, a university campus, if it's a union campus, meaning the faculty or staff are in some sort of union, they can often sometimes bring in programming. I'm thinking in, in my case, because my topic can be very specific, I can also approach history departments, university libraries, um, things that make sense. Gotcha. Now, what about like in the corporate space? Because in some corporations, they're big enough where maybe they have a DEI department or someone yeah. who oversees that department and someone who's responsible for bringing in speakers. But obviously, not every company is big enough to do that. Is it primarily better to focus on companies that are big enough to have a, a DEI department or office uh, or like who who should we re be reaching out to and, and talking to? You know, and, and I want to caveat by saying I am not the expert in the corporate space, but mm -hmm. I have I'm, I'm, I've dabbled enough to, to at least have an opinion on this. Contrary to popular belief, everyone can have their own opinion. I go small. I go super niche, super small because I want to have a conversation with you. I'm yeah. a person. You're a person. I have these very strong beliefs in, in, in history and of humankind and of the future of a better world. I want to have a very intimate, personal conversation with someone who gets it. Like, yeah. I, I want this message to be really tied to people who believe in what I believe. And I think that starts small. I think it starts in the, the company with 10 20, 30 people, but they have one HR person who now has all these responsibilities to do uh, training and professionalization and, and HR and benefits all at the same time. That's a lot. But if we can connect person to person and I can hear you, I can hear what you're going through, I can hear the struggles that you're having, we can bond in a certain way, then yes, to me, that has proven to be more successful than reaching the companies that have 30,000 employees and a dedicated diversity, equity, and inclusion office, which is wonderful. We love that for you. But it can often get lost in the, lost in the sauce, to be honest, but lost in the tide, especially when, if you're a newer speaker, you're competing against speakers who have been in the game, who've been talking about this, who might have million dollar press tickets, right? Like you're, you're competing against a bigger pool because they're looking for those bigger names, I find that I can make more of an impact serving the world where I am. Yeah. It seems like in the past few years, uh, like going back to, um, you know, 2020, 2021 or so that, uh, there was a lot in the media as it related to, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, um, uh, not marginalizing certain groups of people for one reason or another. Uh, have you found that because that has been on the more of the, the forefront of people's radars, people's minds, that it has increased the opportunities or the need or awareness for organizations, companies, colleges, universities to say, hey, we maybe we should have a speaker come in and talk about this? You know, I think this is a it's such a interesting and delegate space. So you have in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, you have this movement that occurs. And then you have with all movements, and this is a historic lens, in most movements, there's also an after wave. There's always like a, t a wave and then there's an after wave, just life reflecting nature. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're experiencing now could be considered an, a, one of the waves that comes after a bigger wave. 
But what's interesting is that this isn't the first wave, and it's certainly not the first time in history that marginalized communities have suffered great atrocities. Um, and it's certainly not the first time that there has been deep social fundamental response to those atrocities. Uh, history doesn't repeat itself. It's just that humans tend to do the same thing in patterns, um, even if 20 or 40 or 50 years ago, they did the exact same thing when faced with the same inputs. And so what we're seeing now is the same thing that you may have seen in 68, 69, 1970. It's the same thing that you might have seen in 1870, 1871, 1872. So it's not as if it's a new, a new wave of opportunities so much as it is similar inputs, similar outputs. What I talk about is learning from those inputs the first time, if not the second time, if not the third time, so that moving forward, we're not faced with these inputs continuously. We're not faced with situations in which you have marginalized people um, being continually um, attacked or, or disenfranchised into the future. You know, what got us here isn't going to get us there. Yeah. We have to be mindful of not just allowing history to act upon us, but how do we be active agents and active participants in history making so that we can move forward in more progressive and uh, more holistic ways. So to answer the question, I think it's not. Yes, there are many people speaking in this space right now, but this space isn't new and the amount of people or the percentage, I think, of people you know, ratio, like the ratio of people moving and doing in this space is the same as the last movement and the movement before. The key will be sustaining the work and or learning from things that have happened in the past. Right. Uh, one of the things that you've also mentioned that you've had some success with is not just on the speaking side, but how the speaking has fed into the consulting side of your yeah. business. So could you talk a little bit about that? Like, what, who are you consulting with? What are you consulting about? And how does that work? So my consulting is very, it's, it's a varied approach. It's archival work in all kinds of touches and manners and, and types, but it's really any project or organization that comes to the table with the same feelings and beliefs that history is not passive and that African-American history matters and should be uplifted and shared and preserved and told just like anything else. So long as we come to the table with this commonality, with this joint foundation, this trust building, the projects usually spiral off after that. It's about aligning with the right person first or the right organization first for the right reasons first. And then the project kind of follows, if that makes sense. We don't really go for projects. We go for alignment yeah. or purpose. Um, what that can end up looking like, the organizations that it ends up looking like is uh, cultural heritage Organizations, not necessarily always nonprofits, but they usually are cultural heritage nonprofits. That could be libraries, museums, universities, um, kind of sometimes foundations. It just depends. Uh, but it's organizations who are looking to make the world a better place, specifically through this lens. And they have some type of archival material that could be 100-year-old diaries or 50-year-old artist papers, and they wish to do their part to preserve this legacy. And so they call me. That's cool. How has speaking fed consulting? How has consulting fed speaking? It, it's Sometimes it becomes very blended and blurried. Uh, 
But typically what happens is either one of two things, either a someone has seen a talk or they were in the audience of a talk or um, they attended an event in which I maybe was on the program. They see a talk. They say, ah, that's a really wonderful idea. I was working on this project in my own office. Let me reach out via email. So that's one way. The other way uh, is often if we're working together on a project and maybe let's say as an example, we're working together on a project and you are in the history department. But as we go along on this project, you say, hey, listen, this project has been amazing, but I just feel like other people on campus should hear about it. So then they connect you with the provost office or with the diversity, equity, inclusion office or what have you. And so and the project led to a consulting opportunity. So it can sometimes go either way. Gotcha. Uh, For for speakers who are listening who are interested in this space, what do you feel like are the opportunities that um, will continue to exist in the future? How do you feel like this will continue to evolve in the future? The DEI space, that is. Absolutely. I think what's interesting is that the DEI space is as fluid and growing as any space. Um, It is as flexible and alive and and moving and growing and shaping as any space is. uh, So I don't think it's unique in that essence. But what I do think is it's growing in is how people are approaching diversity, equity, and inclusion, not necessarily as a check the box option. They're take they're taking this new mindset, this new approach of how do we make the world a better place? How do we make sure that people feel this sense of belonging, the sense of I am, the sense of I am here, I belong, I am okay, I am safe, I am uh, supported in my work environment, supported in my community, Um, because it's not just always the corporate work side of life. There is plenty of diversity, equity, and inclusion opportunities in the life side of life, in the family side of life, in the church side of life. Um, there's, There's opportunity abounds. And I think the more that individuals are investing in the in in these little nuanced areas the more that the field grows the more it becomes about opportunity and belonging more that it encompasses just is and it's not separate that i think is the future of where it's going is just becoming a part of what we do a part of being a better world about being a more mindful and 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 care giving world is just expanding it out so that it isn't so separate all the time. Right. I think there's a place to tap into that if you're a new speaker coming in. So a few years ago, you stumbled across the podcast, you listened to a lot of episodes <laughs> and you were kind of in that same spot of like, I feel like I could do this. I'm not really sure what to do next. And it feels, you know, overwhelming and and don't we don't really know where to go from here. For a speaker who's listening who's in the same spot as where you were and going like, I think I can do this. And I'm maybe I've listened to the first episode or all the episodes, but either way, I, I want to figure out how can I speak and maybe on, on diversity, equity, and con- inclusion or something totally different. What advice would you give to them? Mm. I would say that, same again, continue with the podcast. You know, it's a really great resource. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to say it, but newsflash, like you could join Speaker Lab. And you would learn a lot of what you've learned in the podcast. It's in a really this amazing overlap where so much content and inspiration and ideation and and expansion of thought is happening 
in this podcast or in other podcasts and books, go to your local public library, y'all. Like as a librarian, I just feel like I have to add your library. Please go get a library card. Um, um, And what you can't learn in the library, I don't know. I don't know. I think people have been trying to figure that out for a couple thousand years. But if you are in this position where you're thinking, I don't know, can I have something to say? I have something to share. If you reframe it a little bit, in my opinion, take it or leave it. If you reframe it a little bit into how can I serve? Who can I serve? How can I help? What can I do that would make the world a better place? Sometimes they find you. Hmm. Sometimes they will find you. Who you're supposed to serve will kind of just naturally. I think the universe is the universe and and is in the way of providing so long as you take the first step. So long as you have that mustard seed, you just go in the way, go in that direction. Everything else tends to respond, not always, but tends to go and follow you so long as your your momentum is moving forward. It also doesn't help to start just locally reaching out. Um, there is, I don't know if you've heard of it, but just simple apps like Eventbrite. I don't know if you've ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you have an Eventbrite, sometimes when I was first starting, I would go on Eventbrite, go into my area, find events that were six to eight months in advance that sounded like they made sense for me to speak at. I would figure out who the organizer is and I would reach out to them and ask them if they had a speaker for their event. So if it's, I don't know, January, I would go on Eventbrite and look for events that were let's say June, July, August, something like Mm -hmm. that. Speaking events typically are booked smaller events. Let me say that smaller regional events can often be booked four to six months out. So you just looked on Eventbrite or looked on the Google machine. You know, it's it's effective. It's effective. And you just find out who the organizer is, a couple of email, you know, a couple of Google searches, find out who the organizer is and send an email. They may respond, they may not. But oftentimes if it if it was the event that made sense, that is in alignment with what you're trying to do and who you're trying to serve, oftentimes they'll respond. Mm, that's good. Uh, Dominic, this has been super helpful. We appreciate you taking the time. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? Absolutely. Uh, first, thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. Absolutely. Such a great conversation. I really appreciate the time. Uh, if anybody wants to find me, I'm all... I, the Luster Company on all major platforms. So thelustercompany.com, The Luster Company on Instagram. I'm pretty sure you can go in The Luster Company on Twitter, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> find me on Instagram, find me online, uh, The Luster Company. Awesome. Dominic, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is fun. Hi, friend. Are you ready to get serious about taking your speaking business to the next level? Maybe you are someone who is looking for ways to book more paid gigs, or maybe you're trying to figure out all the different things that go into building a successful speaking business. Or perhaps you are an experienced speaker who wants to scale your speaking business to multiple six figures. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to visit thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash apply. I want you to book a free, no obligation call with our team. And if you're not quite ready, to take that leap. I don't want you to hesitate in checking out all the free resources that we have available to you on our website, including this podcast. So head over to thespeakerlab.com. Again, thespeakerlab.com. Find hundreds of blog posts, how-to guides, podcast episodes, email scripts, proposal templates, and so much more. 
finally, I got a big favor. I would love for you to leave us a rating or review for this podcast. We read every single one and it also helps other speakers find valuable free resources that they can use to build their own speaking careers. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.